Welcome to Sacred Realms. It's a great day in Hyrule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I'm your host, Lyndon Willoughby, uh, joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. Um, He is here in person with me again after a two-week gap in parts abroad. Also, in the the spirit of full disclosure, this is our second attempt at recording the (laughs) intro of this episode. We we got another one of those fun glitches where we're going to be releasing a mixtape to you guys in a minute, uh, uh, (laughs) along with this episode, of what it sounded like for the first three or four minutes when we were going, and then we were like, huh, let's just make sure that the audio recording sounds good and it uh, uh did not we uh, yeah my laptop was once again invaded by the evil spirit of crappy daft punk um and <laughs> wow yeah, yeah that made me snort my drink yeah Thank you. yeah I, I specifically waited until you were taking a drink before i <laughs> said before i made it funny yeah um yeah no you, yeah y'all may remember from a few weeks ago we had a similar incident i think was that a part of link to the past maybe i feel like that might have uh, been i think it was still breath I think it was still Breath of the Wild. I mean, we've been doing Breath of the Wild forever. Um, so, yeah. yeah, but this weird thing happened where, like, we got two minutes into the episode and I was, like, looking at the audio track and I was like, that doesn't look normal. So I stop and I'm like, I'm going to listen and make sure it sounds right. And sure enough, it is robot voice Lyndon and Matt who uh, who pitched in on that one. So um, this time I actually had the forethought to record uh, some of that um unholy audio before deleting it so (laughs) i'll be mixing that into the episode right now yep that's gonna be great and i really hope that you enjoyed that um uh i'm sorry to disappoint matt but i do not have time to cut a mixtape right now and i don't think that it would be that good anyway so definitely not there it was glad y'all got to hear it this time but it's everything's working fine now um we were uh i mean we were doing typical intro stuff we were bitching about the weather um, it's hot as balls it's 92 degrees at 10 30 p.m and, and it's 10 30 p.m for reasons which you will find out in this episode yeah we're starting very late tonight and there are reasons for that uh, yay the tale is great matt have you been doing oh i'm all right uh i think uh the summer heat definitely sucks but what doesn't suck about the summer heat is the uh liberal use of pool time uh which i love uh, pool time is great uh we're coming off a long weekend, 4th of July, for our uh, those folks in the United States of America. I hope you guys had a safe and happy 4th of July for those in the other parts of the world. Uh, just kind of, you know, ignore us when we're dumb. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I hope you managed to enjoy your 4th of July, regardless of like the gauntlet of increasingly bleak and horrible things happening in this country. Yeah, it's just not great for the most part. But anyway, it's just like one thing after another, after another right now, it just never stops. It feels like it's uh, the the, there's always another shoe that is uh, perpetually falling to the floor. Um, But uh, 
instead of focusing on that, we got to shoot some fireworks and cook some hamburgers, hot dogs, and have a great time with uh, a lot of very close friends. So we had a good weekend, uh, but it did push us into realizing that we're going to have to record this on Tuesday night and Lyndon's going to have to get up early in the morning tomorrow to edit it and post it live. So uh, we did back ourselves into a little bit of a corner with a <laughs> lack of planning. I, I do this for y'all, our listeners. Actually, um, that's only halfway true. I also do it because, um, you know, one, one of the main reasons we started doing this in the first place is because video games are one of the greatest forms of escapism um, that I know of. And uh, just as when we actually first started this podcast and the world was a very dark place, um, we could really use some escapism right now. And yeah, let's go solve some fictional world problems instead of uh, exactly. facing down the ones that we have no power to do anything about, except it, through uh, through the voice of uh, representative democracy, which occasionally works <laughs> sure occasionally works why not okay i guess we'll i guess we'll accept that as true for right now um but yeah no i mean if the, there's there are a few more comfortable places uh for me to retreat to um than the legend of zelda and particularly breath of the wild so it was great to get into a chunk of game to bring to y'all uh this week a discussion about um and then of course you know the um you know, actually getting in there and editing and making a fun, you know, final product uh, has actually become something that I really enjoy doing. So uh, all that is to say, um, yes, we're right. We're flying by the seat of our pants this week. It is not a hassle. Um, we're happy to do it. It is a good time. Um, and we hope that, uh, you know, kind of joining us on this journey brings you some uh, comfort and brings you a slice of that, uh, you know, that warm comfort blanket of uh, digital escapism uh, that we have also felt. Absolutely. That is the whole point. So one quick note of business before we get into our normal housekeeping, as um, you might have seen on our Twitter, we have decided to once again change the schedule for this season of Breath of the Wild. I know we're at the 11th hour here, um, but we are adding one more episode after this one. We were going to do this episode and then go straight into Hyrule Castle next week. Uh, but uh, I think we halfway through the day yesterday realized that there was just going to be no time to 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 cover all of Champions Ballad and talk about the wrap up stuff we wanted to talk about um, in one episode. It just wasn't going to be possible. So we're going to do uh uh, chapter 14 this week, Champions Ballad. Chapter 15 next week will now be uh, a tying up loose ends episode. And then chapter 16 the week after that will be Hyrule Castle and the ending of the game. And of course, we will wrap up with chapter 17 the week after that in which we rank and review this game against all the other ones that we played. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, that means that our, our old buddy Max Nichols, uh, his appearance is getting pushed out one week. It was supposed to be next week, will now be the week after. Uh, but he is uh, a true bro, and he was more than happy to, um, you know, to roll with it as we kind of, uh, you know, come down to the come down to the very end of this season, which is really incredible, Matt. I mean, 14 weeks of this, right? Uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been a uh, true to the game itself, it has been a sprawling and uh, long and fun adventure. So I think the the show and our experience with it has very much mirrored the game, which makes a certain amount of sense. So. Absolutely. And of course, we're always looking forward to our next adventure. With that in mind, the poll has been up on the Patreon for uh, two weeks now, um, where we were letting our patrons vote on which game we're going to be playing in season six of Sacred Realms pod. And uh, so we had a few different options to choose from. At this point, the math is irrefutable. Uh, I want to say 90% of our patronage has voted and uh, 
you know, it is mathematically impossible now for there to be any winner except for the combo season of The Legend of Zelda combined with Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. That is what we will be playing next. Um, we're going to be doing both games together in one season, tackling two dungeons a week. Uh, the reason that we're going to be doing that is just because those games, I think, have a little bit less extra content um, to create an episode out of than we have been used to with some of these others. So, yeah, we're going to have, I think, what's going to, what's probably going to be a pretty normal size season where we just cover those two games. Um, and I, you know, Matt, I think we feel equal parts excited and trepidatious about going that far back in the, in the Zelda catalog. Uh, yeah. Uh, tr- trepidatious is definitely a good descriptor. Um, yeah, those NES and SNES games are just a lot. Uh, they're very specific. They're very uh, telling of the time in which they were created. Um, I haven't played very many NES or SNES games, like just to be honest, because generally speaking, I don't love them. So, oh yeah, this is gonna be fun. This is gonna we're gonna we're gonna stretch our legs both from a gaming perspective and also from a uh, how do I make myself objective about this gaming experience. So uh, that'll be a challenge. That will be the challenge. But what is irrefutable is that no Zelda retrospective podcast is complete without the playing of those two games. So well, for sure. So there we go. That time has come. It will be upon us soon. But until then, we've got some more Breath of the Wild to talk about. Before we do that, let's get into a spot of housekeeping. If you didn't know, Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of The Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time. Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks. Every week, we play a new section of a Zelda game. Then we sit down here to talk and to drop our hot takes. If that sounds fun to you. Please head over to Apple Podcasts, hit that subscribe button, be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated, and they have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. If you want more Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod to get access to listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much more. One of the benefits, of course, that we offer to Master Sword patrons and above is that we read their names every week on the show. Those legendary individuals are Dylan, Allie, Lennon, Leviticus, Melanie, Koku, Ro- and Josh, Nick, Hyrule Podcasters, Dante, Jet, Mary, Brittany, Davey, Haru the Mighty, Derek, Albert, Mark, Andy, Cameron, Tyler, Ben, Daniel, Nick D underscore TV, Travis, Christian, Jonathan, Max Nichols, aka Hyrule Interviews, Garrett, and Drew. We appreciate your support so much we could not make the show without you. We need to get uh, the Hyrule Podcasters boys back on this show. We do. We uh, and I think that we're going to have a great opportunity to uh, in our next season. I know that they both have a, an abiding uh, love and passion for the uh, original two entries in the Legend of Zelda series. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun. And actually, if I remember correctly, uh, looking back at their uh, their podcast, they they are doing them in chronological release order. So they've already done both of those games. So I think that we'll have some interesting discussion. Ben and Pat, if you're listening to this episode, expect our call. <laughs> or Twitter DM, which is more likely. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. We will be reaching out. 
But without further ado, let's talk about what we played. We do that, of course, every week in the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Breath of the Wild Chapter 14, dealing with the Champion's Ballad DLC. Part one is, as always, the plot recap, usually read by Matt, last week read by me, this week also read by me because uh, Matt and I both really came down to the wire <laughs> in, in, in our, uh, I mean, we both finished playing this chunk of game today. I finished about three hours ago. Matt finished about 45 minutes ago. Yes. So um, all that is to say, I was the one with a little extra time to write the plot recap. And the rule we have now is that he who writes it, reads it. So um, I think Matt is just trying to get out of the beefy ones because because this is just another. Really, hey, that really, is not really true. One. <laughs> I, I've I've done beefy ones, but yeah, you, you definitely took the last two big ones off my hand. But I will be doing it next week, and that will be probably the beefiest boy. Or I mean, the I'll be doing it for Hyrule Castle, which will be the beefiest boy. Yep, yep. Chances are pretty good. <sighs> All right. Without further ado, the plot recap as read by me. With all four divine beasts freed from the grasp of Ganon and many of our memories restored to us, the time is almost here to come to our final epic battle with the evil king. Before that time comes, however, we recall the voice of Zelda that came to us after we conquered Vonoboros, which said that a final ultimate trial awaited us with a promise of an incredible new power. Zelda instructed us to return to the Shrine of Resurrection, where our journey first began, and to place the Sheikah Slate back in its pedestal. And so we journey back to the Great Plateau, and the site of our reawakening many days ago. With the Sheikah Slate returned to its pedestal, a voice comes to us, much like the voice of the monks who we have encountered in the various shrines scattered across Hyrule. The voice introduces itself as belonging to monk Maz Koshia, who promises to test our strength and resolve in the hopes that we might be found worthy to pilot our own divine beast. The first step on this journey is to take part in a grueling challenge on the Great Plateau itself. Maz Koshia summons a strange weapon to the chamber and instructs us to take it in hand. The second this is done, we feel a draining sensation and our life force is reduced to a mere sliver. Maz Koshia explains that the weapon is called the One Hit Obliterator, which is a fantastic name for a weapon. Isn't it a lot of fun? It's I think it's great. It's, it's a lot of fun. I don't love the way that it looks, but we'll get into that later. True to its name. It will annihilate any enemy in a single blow. However, the reverse is true as well, and in our weakened state, any one strike from an enemy will surely end us. The first step in the trial is to awaken four more shrines on the Great Plateau and to collect their spirit orbs. To do this, we must clear out camps of powerful enemies with the Obliterator. With our map marked with the locations of these shrines, we exit the Shrine of Resurrection. The Great Plateau is immersed in a gloomy twilight, and even enemies that once seemed unworthy of concern are now a terrifying threat. Using our map as a guide, we go from one location to the next, clearing out enemy camps cautiously with the Obliterator and conquering the shrines which appear in the aftermath. These shrines are even more deadly in their arrangement than we're typically used to, and with all manner of sharp and fiery traps which can kill us with even a glancing blow. Again and again, we emerge victorious from these trials, bringing us closer and closer to the next step of the monk's challenge. While on the plateau, we run into our old friend Cass, who claims to be researching ancient Hyrule in an attempt to complete the lyrics to his master's unfinished epic song, The Champion's Ballad. The ballad promises to tell a previously untold story about the ancient champions, which we have already learned so much about in our journeys. 
This prospect is exciting, but we have other things to deal with right now. And so we wish Cass good luck and proceed to the final of the shrines on the plateau and clear it out with our usual skill. When we exit the shrine, the one-hit obliterator splits into four orbs of light which ascend to the sky and then towards the four corners of Hyrule. The voice of Maz Koshia tells us that the next step in our challenge can be begun at the points which the light orbs have landed and marks those locations on our map. We proceed first to the west of Hyrule, to the shadow of Rito Village, where one of these four points of light has unearthed an ancient monument, of the same construction as the shrines and the Sheikah Towers, but of clearly different purpose. Cass is there as well, and after greeting us, tells us of his continuing quest to complete the Champion's Ballad. He has been in Rito Village speaking with the Rito Elder about Rivali in an effort to gain more knowledge about the Avian Champion. The monument before Cass has sparked something in his memory about a song that his master wrote about Rivali's own quest to become worthy of a divine beast. The song speaks of a monument exactly like this one, and of three challenges that Rivali undertook at its guiding. Cass recalls a line from the song which recounts these challenges, and almost in response, this summons three images of map on the pillars of the monument. We examine the three locations shown and undertake challenges at each, similar to what Rivali was said to have done in Cass's song. Piercing the horn of Din Ra with an arrow, braving a marksmanship challenge at the flight range, and snow shield racing through a set of glowing rings at Hebra Peak. After each of these feats, another shrine appears, and conquering the shrines each gives us an emblem of meadow. Once we have collected three emblems, Maz Koshia's voice comes back to us, and says that these emblems can be offered at Va Meadow in exchange for the chance to undergo a great combat challenge. Warping to the Divine Beast, we offer the three emblems and accept the offered challenge, which transports us to our memory of fighting Windblight Ganon. There's a major difference, however. All of our own gear is gone, and we're left with only one sword, two bows, and a handful of arrows. We must defeat this monster again using only limited tools. The combat is fierce and challenging, but we are powerful and resourceful, and the tools provided, combined with the powers that we have been granted by the champions, prove that we are still a match for the great evil, even without our collected arsenal. When we appear back at the foot of Va Meadow, Cass is there, again working on his song. He offers to play a bit of the song for us, the section about Rivali. The song tells of Rivali's early attempts to master his flight ability and of Zelda coming to him to request his services as the Rito champion. Rivali accepts, but not before attempting his flying technique one more time. He is successful, and upon landing back in front of Zelda, boasts that the Hylian champion would most likely be cowed by his own superior skills. The song ends, and the voice of Rivali's spirit comes to us. He commends us on our combat skill, and gifts us with an improved version of Rivali's gale. We visit the other three monuments in the Laneru, Elden, and Gerudo regions. Each provides us a similar challenge to undergo feats that the champions of those regions went through, taking us to the peak of Death Mountain, to the Yiga Hideout, and even to the open ocean. Doing so awards us the emblems of Ruta, Rudania, and Naboris, and grants us the opportunity to face the blights which plagued those divine beasts again in our memories. Succeeding in these fights awards us the improved abilities given to us by each champion. Along the way, we're given more pieces of the Champion's Ballad by Cass and learn much about the departed champions. We learn about Urbosa's fierce dedication to Zelda in her mother's memory, about Mipha's watchful guidance of a young Sidon, and of Daruk's incredible bravery, accepting his irrational fear of dogs. 
With all of the Blight Ganon successfully defeated in our memories, Maz Koshia's voice comes to us again and invites us to undergo one last challenge. To begin, we must return again to the Shrine of Resurrection. With the Sheikah Slate returned to the pedestal, something incredible happens. The ground begins to shake, and the door to the chamber shuts behind us. The chamber begins to descend into the ground, and when it halts, we are faced by a magnificent underground chamber filled with gears and moving platforms. Maz Koshia invites us to solve a series of puzzles, at the end of which we must face him to receive our reward. The puzzles in this final trial test all of our wits and knowledge we have accumulated in order to clear a series of four chambers, each of which deactivates one of the four locks to the main chamber. We use all the skills we learned in our four divine beasts and finally come to the fully unlocked vault door. When it opens, we are faced by a familiar sight, an ancient monk frozen in stasis. We deactivate the stasis field, and Maz Koshia greets us. He congratulates us on completing the challenge, but says that one final test remains. Instead of fading into the air as we are accustomed to, the old monk rises to his feet, and we are enveloped in a warping field. We rematerialize on an immense floating island, alone except for Maz Koshia, with whom we must do combat and emerge victorious in order to claim our prize. The monk may appear frail, but his combat skills are exceptional. We're faced by swift sword blows, duplications and delusions of our foe, and even Maz's ability to expand his own body to the size of a giant. The combat is long and grueling, and Maz's life force is considerable. We find that we are equal to the challenge, however, and after many blows given and received, Maz declares himself impressed by our prowess and concedes that we are indeed the true hero worthy of our own divine beast. The floating island opens like a mechanical flower, and from its depths rises a two-wheeled vehicle styled like a great steed. This is the Master Cycle Zero, an ancient Sheikah invention that will surely be a worthy mount for Link, the Hylian Champion. We are sent back to the Great Plateau, and we exit the Shrine of Resurrection back out into the sunlight where we are treated to the same view of Hyrule Field as when we began our journey. Predictably, Cass is there, and while we sit and collect our breath after our recent ordeal, he plays for us the completed Champion's Ballad. The song brings memories of our past flooding back. We remember the appointing ceremony for the Four Champions and Link, of King Rome charging us with our sacred duty. We remember how after the ceremony, the champions shared a moment of levity in which Daruk, unable to take anything seriously, ruins a group photo on the battlements of Hyrule Castle. Cass finishes his song and reveals that the picture taken that day was saved by his mentor. He thinks it appropriate to give the framed photo to Link. We go back to our home in Hateno Village for a rest, and before falling into bed, notice a blank spot on the wall that seems perfect for our photo. We hang the picture there and take a moment to remember the champions and Zelda, a brighter days spent with those who we count as friends. This has been the plot recap, which of course brings us to part two, which is our takes, where we talk about this section of the game and how it made us feel. 
Matt, let's get our homework out of the way early. I'm going to send it to you to read off your worksheet. Well, before that, I want to say yet again, well done. Uh, So one of my thoughts and feelings is uh, you did an excellent job on a beefy plot recap. Uh, So congratulations. Also, thank you for reminding me that I need to go hang up that picture in my house in Hateno, which is fully furnished. It's a a really cool little moment, actually. I need to go do that. It's like a it's the perfect emotional uh, bookend to kind of everything that you do here. Yeah. And I think that this is just a really great section of game, a very emotional section of game, very world building, story building, character building for, you know, all of our main cast and supporting characters. So I I think it's great. Anyway, on to uh, homework. Da, 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 da. Starting point. Uh, I started in Kakariko Village after I went back to uh, Impa once once I completed the memories quest, went back and talked to her uh, and then ended, uh, as I said, not in Hateno Village. I ended just at the Shrine of Resurrection after I beat Maz Kushia. Um, my route taken was obviously back to the Great Plateau for the beginning section. Then I did Vonaburis, then Va Meadow, then Va Rudania, then Va Ruta, and then back to the Shrine of Resurrection. Uh, shrine count not including the Champions Ballad Shrines, because they're not actually included in your larger shrine count. Um, uh, the uh, well, uh, four on the Great Plateau are. They, the, it's, it's weird. They are not included in your shrine count, but you do get regular spirit orbs for them, and you yep. can use those to get one more heart, heart piece yeah. or or um, stamina yep. if you don't have that completed yet. So excluding Champions Ballad Shrines, I have 109 or 110, excuse me, shrines. Uh, and obviously no towers, uh, cause we've done that. And then I know we're going to talk about our favorite shrine later. So that brings me to the end of my, uh, scripted notes. Cool. So, uh, here's my rundown. I started at the Blattery Plain after having gotten the last memory from last week. Um, and I ended at Link's house in Hateno Village. My route taken was, uh, the Great Plateau. From there, I went to Rito Village. Uh, to do that part of the Champions Ballad um, from Rito Village to Zora's Domain, from Zora's Domain to Goron City, um, and then from Goron City to the Gerudo region. Um, and then, of course, from there back to the Great Plateau to do the um, the final trial. My shrine count, not including Champions Ballad shrines, is... 120. Ah, you did them all. I did them all. Here at the end, I I came out ahead and beat you. Uh, much like much like Sergio Perez coming back from last place um, to finish on the podium in the British Grand Prix this past weekend, I have uh, I, I found a burst of speed at the last moment, and uh, you know I, I I achieved something incredible. Well, I am proud of you and annoyed, but I guess mostly proud. <laughs> Are you happier for me or for Sergio Perez? Oh, I'm definitely happy for Sergio. Yeah, me too. I love Sergio. Um, towers activated, none. Yep, because we got all that done. So there you go. I do have all 120 shrines done. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is probably more effort than I probably needed to put into doing all this. But a ritual for me when I play this game is that I always try to have all 120 normal shrines done. And before Champions Ballad. Yeah, before Champions Ballad. Um, which actually, the reason I usually do that is because I like um, I like wearing the um, 
no spoilers. I'm not going to say what you get until next week, but I like wearing the gear that you get from completing all 120 shrines in the end game of Breath of the Wild. But for the Champions Ballad this time around, I decided that I was just going to stick with my Champions tunic because it felt appropriate. I will be wearing said other set of gear for uh, Hyrule Castle and everything after this. So. I think that that makes sense. But that's that's why I usually do it that way. Okay, so with our homework done, Matt, let's go ahead and get into some general thoughts about how we feel about this section of the game. Um, I'm going to start off and just say that I think you and I had a very similar experience with this where I think each of us has only done all of this like once before. I think I've done this once or twice. That is correct. I have only done this once. And for some reason, I completely forgot just how much game it is. I think you and I were very surprised by the by like just how long it took to get through all of this. Yeah, no, it was insane. Like I um, I guess. I don't know exactly which part of it I forgot about because when it came right down to it, everything that I played, I was like, yeah, that's, you know, how I remember it being. But like when we were sitting down and talking about at the beginning of the season and even as we progressed, when we've revamped the playlist or the set list, I guess we'll call it a couple of times. um, It never struck me that this was going to be seven, eight hours worth of gameplay for this one episode, which is. I think um, more than we've done for anything else, any other single section. And I would say that's about how long I spent on it, too. Yeah, it was like I just – yeah, it took me off guard how how absolutely long it took me to play this section of game. Yeah, and so all that is to say, like, you know, again, we mentioned at the top of the episode that we're really coming down to the wire here, and that's just because Matt and I have been – absolutely busting our asses to get it all done in time to record this episode yeah it's it's definitely been a uh a, a full-time uh a full-time amount of work for sure like i had like two late nights uh playing on lunch breaks um you know like playing while like getting dinner ready and all kinds of stuff so yeah i i attempted to get it done before you so that I could write the plot recap um, and then work just kind of got away from me today and I I didn't end up playing on my lunch break like I anticipated. But uh, yeah, I think I played probably four or five hours yesterday and at least another three today um, after work to get everything right. Yeah, it was it was at least three and a half because I got off work at like 530 and didn't head this way until about 930. So yeah, this is about, yeah, woof. So I want to split this section into two parts. Um, at the front, I want us to talk about just generally how we feel about the Champions Ballad as a part of the the full game experience of Breath of the Wild, right? Right. And then after that, I want to get into a small conversation about how we feel it um, functions as a piece of DLC. Because for context, you have to remember, uh, this section of the game did not become available until I want to say like nine months or so after the release of Breath of the Wild. It was the last piece of DLC released for the game, um, the other one being the Trial of the Sword. Um, so obviously this one's a lot more substantial. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it is definitely something that you have to pay to experience. And I do want to talk just a little bit at the end about whether or not I think that it's like 
a worthwhile addition to the game with that. Okay. With, with, with that kind of said, but let's, yeah. let's just talk about the champions ballad as a section of the game. How'd you feel about it, Matt? Yeah. I, like I, like I mentioned, uh, right after your plot recap, I think that this is really a great section of story building game, right? Like it, it adds a lot to our cast of characters, which as we said, uh, in last episode, yeah, I, I think yeah, so. The memories uh, that that we had wished that they had fleshed those champions out a little more. Um, I think this does some of that. Um, I think it actually does more to flesh out Zelda uh, Sans Link, right? Because all of these memories until you get to the very last ones are Zelda Sans Link going to talk to all the champions uh, about joining her little band. And uh, so I think that's kind of cool. You get a little bit of a different view of who the champions are. Um Urbosa's memory is easily my favorite. Just her going ham on those. Oh, it's Yiga. amazing. Yeah, her oh, going it's so cool. Ham on those Yiga clan assassins was awesome. And I mean, Urbosa, um, Urbosa is champion numero uno, right? Oh, absolutely. Like I was actually sitting in bed with my girlfriend last night playing it, and I was like, "Babe, you're a strong, independent woman. Uh, you're a fit woman. She does like beach body coaching." I was like, "I just need you, even though you know nothing about Zelda whatsoever. I need you to appreciate." Urbosa in this moment and like made her watch this whole cutscene of uh, Urbosa going ham on these Yika clan assassins. And even, even she was just like, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. I aspire to be that badass. And I was like, yeah, yeah, me too. Yep. Same. <laughs> Don't we all? Don't we all? Um, no, this, I really like it. I think this uh, actually has the best shrines in the game. I, I, I don't love all of them. There are some of them I don't love, but I think taking these 16 shrines is hit to miss ratio is skewed heavily in the hit. Yeah. Um, so when you look at it just on paper, like what you get as a part of this experience, um, basically, I mean, you're, you're given 16 extra shrines to do yes. as a part of this whole thing. Four on the Great Plateau during the whole you die in one hit phase of of the thing. And then each um, champion's section after that gets you another three shrines. And then it all ends in an honest-to-goodness dungeon, basically. Uh, probably the best dungeon in the game. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and I think probably the only one that we could even really accurately call a dungeon, right? Absolutely. This was far more of a dungeon than any of the divine but beasts. we'll get there we will we're, we're not there yet yeah. but we'll get there yeah but yes uh general feelings to answer your question a uh, high level thousand foot view love this section of game love it yeah it's really great i think uh your point is really accurate we learn a lot about the champions and link and zelda in this uh section of the game and i think it's it gives some really cool shading to all of the champions the cutscenes that we get for each one um do this really interesting thing where each one seems to be about exposing a side of the champion's personality that is maybe contrary to our earlier impressions of them. Right. Right. So, so like the only one I don't think that that's really true for is Urbosa. I actually disagree, but continue your thought. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so like with Mifa, they show us a scene of like Mifa, you know, being a little more strict than we're used to her being where she's uh she's trying to help train a very young like baby prince Sidon because she knows that she won't be there for him forever uh you know for Ravali we see him having like a moment of vulnerability where uh he is struggling to um display all of the skills that we're used to him uh bragging about in all of the earlier memories right 
um, you know, Daruk, obviously Daruk is a huge badass, but then we've got that f- crazy funny moment where it turns out he's afraid of dogs. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's a, what a weird thing for him to be afraid of? Like, he's made of rock, but dog can't do anything to him except maybe pee on him. So, like, yeah, I'm not, re- not really understanding that fear. Although, I guess phobias don't generally have, you know, a root in logic. So yeah, it's no, it's just, a, it's a funny little, it's, it is. It's, a, it's, it's a funny it's fun. It's, 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 it's played, played for, for comedy. And, it's yeah. played for comedy, and I think it lands at least partially well. Yeah, so anyway, we get all those great memories. Um, I'm curious to hear why you think Urbosa's memory is not an exception to that. So, I I think that, I, I, I think that Ravali's is not really an exception. Like, yes, we see him struggle, but... But he doesn't lose any of his arrogance or bravado. Like, even in the midst of him struggling, he is just sitting there bragging about how awesome he is. So I would say that Rivali's has a little less uh, difference than Urbosa's. Um, I think Urbosa's definitely is similar, for sure. Um you know, I think there's a lot that leans into her relationship with Zelda's mother and how that translates to Urbosa's relationship with Zelda that I like a lot. It's a little more fleshed out, I guess, is the only thing that I would say. Okay. But I think Rivali's is the most true to character and least revealing in any difference there. Yeah, okay. I I I don't know that I 100% agree, but I can see where you're, I can see where you're kind of going with that. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll say agree to disagree on that one. Regardless, I think that they're really excellent cutscenes. Um, absolutely. And, you know, I think any, any additional cinematography that we can get in this game is welcome. Um, yeah, and it's done so well. Like I really, really, really like how they use, um, the art style, and still have it be cinematic without losing the overall art style of the game. Yeah. Like, I think that they ha- they have taken... You said this is shell cell shading, right? Yes. Yeah, so they've taken the cell shading art style and really turned it into something fantastic for gameplay in general. But then they also are able to adapt that to uh, these cinematic cutscenes without losing any of the fidelity of it being cinematic. Like, it looks just different enough that you know it's a cutscene and you know it's cinematic and you know that there's more to it obviously just by the nature of it being cinematic but the the visual fidelity there is different enough that it's immediately evocative of that and i don't know how they did it but it's very very well done so there's a fun thing that happens in these cutscenes where like everyone gets new outfits um like a lot of yeah new, a lot Zelda of new, has a lot of different outfits doesn't she yeah, a lot of new models were made for these cutscenes. like we get to see uh zelda wearing some cold uh cold weather gear when she goes to meet rivali all of the champions are wearing outfits that are different from what we've seen them in before because in the um in the main game they're all wearing their champions uh gear like that blue sash that they get given by the king um, in the cutscene that we see here. And so uh, all of the cutscenes of the champions and the champions ballad precede them getting those clothes. So they're all wearing stuff that's more like native to their home region. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some like female attendants of Zelda's that we see in the Gerudo um cutscene which i don't think is our characters we've ever seen before and then in this in the uh, scene where the champions are actually having their appointing ceremony in hyrule castle we see the knights of hyrule with their like crazy dress uniforms they have they wear like berets yeah it's it's a it's something you can actually get if you have all of the dlc where you can get the uh crazy outfits the royal guards uniform is one of them and you can get those crazy berets um not that i ever do that but um yeah 
It's there for if you want it. Yeah. So that's all really fun. Clearly, a lot of effort went into this. Uh, Another thing that was actually kind of done for this DLC is that a lot of music was added to it. Um, Of course, we get a lot of new cast songs on the accordion, but there is a champion's ballad theme that plays several times through um, throughout this whole experience. Um, And it also plays whenever you're near one of the champion shrines. Um, If you've been playing the game up until this point, you know that when you get near a shrine, there's usually a specific piece of background music that plays um, that's different than just the Hyrule overworld theme um and so the same is true of any of the champions ballad shrines but it's a different piece of music and um i think i think that's really cool i think that that's just another bit of effort that kind of went into all of this yeah and and i really love how cass's song is very different for each champion like tonally um obviously the lyrics themselves are different but there's the tone of the music that is played is also very distinct yeah well because they're all accordion rearrangements of like the champion music from the cutscenes from the main game right yeah which is neat yeah, I, I really, really like it. Um, I think that it was very, very well done, very tastefully done. Um, and I, I really think it's just another level of justification for the amount of effort uh, that went into this. Um, and also uh, the the justification for the money that is spent. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk real quick about the Great Plateau section of all of this because this is something that isn't really done anywhere else in Breath of the Wild. Um, except for very isolated circumstances like um, Eventide Island. But even that is more like we said when we did the Eventide Island episode. That's kind of just a microcosm of the entire game experience. Um, the Great Plateau Challenge where you get the one-hit obliterator and you get killed from one hit by anything is very different than what we've had anywhere else in the game. Mm-hmm. And I know I was actually talking to Max about this. Um, we were having a little chat uh, earlier today and he was saying that he actually looks back on this section as being kind of like a cheap challenge uh, and having some manufactured difficulty. Um, I can see why somebody might feel that way. I personally enjoy it. I, I personally like having uh, like, even though it is kind of gimmicky, you know, Um, I do like having a section of the game where it's just like, hey, basically you've got to play this like a a stealth section more than anything else, right? Yeah, and and you have to be creative with your use of things like arrows, bombs, traps, luring enemies into one-on-one engagements instead of mass uh, mosh pit fights because mosh pit fights is where you're going to die, right? Like in a one-on-one fight with a moblin or a bokoblin, you're probably going to be okay. But uh, stumbling onto a spiky, pointy wood trap is what's going to is that's what's going to kill you nine (laughs) times out of ten. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, being creative about how you deal with those things, I think, is really where the challenge comes in. Uh, I do sort of understand where Max is coming from. I don't necessarily agree um, that it's a manufactured uh, difficulty, but uh, I can see how, you know, especially someone who's in game design uh, would would not think that that was necessarily the the best use of uh of a mechanic like that yeah i will say that i game over it on the great plateau several times um the one the camp of enemies that gave me the most trouble was the one where it's it's over by the eastern abbey and it's like uh just it's a mountain of lasolfos yeah i actually didn't die at all to any enemies in uh the great plateau i died a lot to uh various traps in the uh shrines was was what got me actually um that first shrine that i went to which is directly 
north off the Great Plateau in the wooded section. It's got the balls that are going down the that are coming at not necessarily random intervals, but at inconsistent intervals. Um, and two of them are spiky. The rest of them are just stone. Um, and you have to go down this ramp where they're just all flying at you. And then it's got the the orbs that are dropping down off this ramp cliff into an abyss. Uh, I don't remember when that one's called. Uh it is, oh, you know what? I can look at, I have my switch here and I can look at it. One second. I think it is the Yowaka Ita Shrine called Collected Soul. That one. Uh, I died like seven times in that one because I got hit by spiky balls. <laughs> nice. Um, I didn't die in that one. The one that got me the most of the shrines was the one where, um, so it starts where you have to, uh, you have to cross a moving pit of spikes. And then after that, you have to paraglide down past three spiky balls on chains that are swinging back and forth. Oh, yeah, that one got me a lot, too. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I think that all four of the shrines on the Great Plateau where you can only take one hit are pretty good. Um, and, you know, they just feel very different <laughs> than any other shrine that, you, that you've really tackled before. So I I, I think that while I, I enjoy them as shrines – this was the one area that I really did not enjoy the one hit obliterator mechanic because you have no benefit whatsoever from having your one hit weapon. All you get is a course of obstacles that you can do nothing about other than avoid, obviously. Um, and you're still at that disadvantage of being one shot. Like, I don't yeah. necessarily love that. With the exception of the shrine where you you load in and it looks like it's going to be a major test of strength. And then you kill the guy in one hit and then it drops down to lower instead of uh, yeah. going up. I yeah, that, that was, was that was so a cool great. bait switch. I loved that. It was just so fun because we're so used to like, okay, killed my guy. Now the shrine's over, right? But then it's like, oh, nope, that platform's dropping back down. <laughs> and guess what? There's a whole shrine under here. Lol. <laughs> uh, the first time I ever, I ever played that, I thought it was just really like a fun a clever subversion of of expectations so that's a great time um i know you said you don't really love the the aesthetic design of the one hit obliterator that is accurate yeah it looks like a weird harpsichord to me (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i thought it was kind of cool um I think it's a neat looking prop. I think what's even cooler is that it's uh, it gets used kind of like as a branding icon for like a lot of the shrines and everything. As you go through the champions ballad, they've all instead of the Sheikah eye, they've got the symbol of the obliterator, which I, I think is just supposed to be a catch all symbol for the champions ballad. Because if you look at it, the four heads of the obliterator are the um, divine beasts, right? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's it's clever branding also from a uh, I remember the marketing for it was pretty heavy on the obliterator and the the four uh the four of divine beast moniker so i think that that worked really well from from that perspective also yeah. so i think we're, we're going to each talk about specific shrines when we get into shrine diving later um i do think i agree with you that the shrine design especially once we get out of the obliterator phase um the the three shrines that you have to do for each of the champion sections um i think that those are some of the best design shrines in the whole game um not a one of them feels really like phoned in or shorter than it should be. Like they all are, are pretty beefy and they're all unique, which is the other thing I really like about them. Like you can see a not repetitive, but you can see like themes from different shrines throughout the world. Right. Um, you know, whether it's, uh, dropping weights on plates or whether it's, uh, you know, freezing time on something or, um, 
like there's there's definitely some repeated themes there, but I think that they did a really good job in making a lot of these very unique. I will say they had some of the most atrocious usage of uh, switch motion controls I've ever seen in any shrine. Uh, specifically, there's one in Varudania. Uh, or the Varudania one, where it's got the fire that you have to block by maneuvering the walkway. You have to flip it and then rotate it 90 degrees. Literally, that was the most painful experience of motion control usage I've ever had in my life. I was sitting in my apartment with my Switch, just like literally upside down and like rotating myself. And my girlfriend is like, what the hell are you doing? And I was like... This you don't want to know. This thing sucks. It's it is literally the motion control shrine from hell. Yeah, and it made it on her Snapchat about bro, you okay? And I was like, yeah, no, not actually. Uh, I'll, I'll get into a fun workaround for that when we get into shrine diving. Um, moving past the shrines, uh, lastly, before we get into the DLC conversation, I just want to talk about the other main part of this entire section, which is the refighting of the Blight Ganons with mm-hmm. a limited arsenal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am willing to bet that you had a very different experience than I did um, because I, I think that these four fights go very differently depending on if you're playing in regular or master mode. You are absolutely correct. Um, I still did not find these fights all that challenging, but I remember playing this in master mode and thinking to myself that, wow, this sucks. Um, I will say that the experience stays mostly the same from a which one is most difficult uh which one is most difficult with the limited arsenal is actually uh water blight Ganon, in my opinion. I, I found the same to be true. Yeah. Like I think that the arsenal you get for water blight Ganon is much more difficult uh, because like Thunderblight Ganon is obviously the hardest one by himself, right? Has the hardest mechanics, I think. But you get Daybreaker and you get the Sword of the Seven and you get some other good swords. And like as long as you're decent with uh, your perfect parries, Daybreaker is a beefy shield. Like it can take some hits. Right. So I think that that's a little more forgiving. But you get like five arrows with Waterblight Ganon. You get three spears and that's like it no shields no like it's it's pretty rough yeah so with water blight ganon and so th- obviously the thing on master mode that makes all of this different is that the bosses are regaining health if they're not taking damage right right and so all of these boss fights it becomes a kind of puzzle solving experience where you're trying to figure out how do i continue damaging these bosses so that they're not regening their health but i'm also not depleting my super limited arsenal of arrows or swords or whatever yeah and so many sorry if you're i don't know if you're done or not i don't want to interrupt you no go for it oh yeah so i I was gonna say that the hardest part on master mode for me was that the the best way to interrupt healing in most fights if you don't want to waste a weapon and you're trying to just like get a get a game plan together in your head yeah throw a bomb at it yeah you can't do that with the blights like, and except for Fireblight Ganon is the only one that you really can throw bombs at. So actually to... At least I have a hard so, time throwing bombs at No, them. it's difficult. So here's what I figured out, specifically with Water Blight Ganon, because the, the first phase of Water Blight Ganon is easy because, um, you know, the water's low and you can kind of move freely around that arena. And as long as you're good with your um, perfect parries and your uh, your dodges, then you can get through the first phase of Water Blight Ganon easily um, without using any of your arrows or anything else. But once the water 
raises and you have to swim between those four platforms, it becomes very, very, very difficult because, um, yeah, I mean, most of the time, Water Blight Ganon warps from one platform to another and it's too far away for you to throw a bomb. Mm -hmm. It just lands in the water. Um, Two of the platforms are close enough together to where you can lob a bomb from one to the other one and it will land on the platform and delay healing. Um, for Water Blight Ganon, actually, the thing that I found to be the most useful was because um, on Master Mode, it is not uh, it is not helpful really at all to be doing the stasis cryonis block thing. Yeah, because it takes so not. long. Mm -hmm. It takes so long. And in the time that it takes you to freeze the block, hit it a bunch of times and launch it back at Water Black Ganon, he started healing again. Yeah, that was like my most used um, tactic in that section because I was pretty much out of bombs. Yeah. So like uh, or out of arrows. I'm sorry. Uh, so I had to. I had to use that as like my ranged attack to get him to fall off the ceiling so I could go over and bitch slap him a couple times. Um, so yeah, not being able to do that uh, for the reason you stated is definitely a huge detraction. Yeah. Right. So what I ended up finally managing to do was, um, and you know, usually I don't use the champion abilities in these fights at all. Really? But on master mode, I kind of decided that, you know, it all's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, and so on Water Blight Ganon, what I found myself doing a lot of was using Revali's Gale to get eye shots on Water Blight Ganon, mm -hmm. um, stun him, and then fly down to where he was stunned and then do a charged Urbosa's Fury yeah. attack. Mm. Charged Urbosa's Fury, so good. It is. And even. It's e so hot right now. It's so hot right now. Um, even doing that, the timing was very. Like, I had to do Water Blight Ganon twice because even if you're not dying, like, dying's not really the problem. No. You run out of weapons. Yeah, you can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, when you're when you're out of arrows and swords and whatever, then yeah, the fight's done. Like you've got to back out and yeah, try it again. You can't do anything. So I I still find myself wishing there was something in between master mode and regular mode to give you a little more challenge without the absolute punch in the face that is health regen. Uh, I will say that regardless of what version you're playing, Fire Black Ganon is just a huge joke. Yeah, Fire Black Ganon is so easy. It's just not <laughs> even fun. Like, at, at what point do you just look at that boss design and say, yeah, eh, not worth it? Yeah. So regardless, I think that um, it's a really fun challenge to go refight those bosses with a limited um, arsenal. Uh, it just, I don't know, it makes you really think about those boss encounters in a way that maybe you didn't have to before. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. So let's talk about the fact that this is a paid DLC real quick. Um, and I just want to just let, let, let's just put it all out on the table. Yep. Do you feel like the value that you get for what you pay to get this DLC, which I think is like 15 bucks, do you uh, think it's worth it? I don't remember how much it was because I bought the DLC combo pack where you got both and the EX yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, 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 together. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know how much it was by itself. Um. Yes, I think it's worth it. And I, I want to be very upfront, and this may be a somewhat controversial opinion for a lot of people, is I actually think paid DLC is is a very good thing because game development today is so much more expensive, so much more time-consuming, so much... It's such a bigger deal than it was back in the day. Like, you can't do this on your computer at home create some 16-bit uh, or 8-bit pixelation characters and just like throw a game together like it is hugely involved it is millions and millions of dollars and these devs work so hard and 
paid DLC is not only, in my opinion, a way to just kind of tack on a cherry on top, if you will, but it's also a way to generate some more revenue to give that back into the game development cycle, which I think is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. It helps pay for uh, new software. It helps pay for uh, training new people on the software. It helps to, to do a lot of things that are necessary within the game development sphere. So I genuinely think that when done correctly, now I'm not a fan of loot boxes and I'm not a fan of the, you know, whatever EA was doing with Battlefront 2. I'm not a fan of those types of things. Um, but like when I'm thinking about paid DLC in the version of true additions to a game let's look at season uh, seasonal models like destiny where you're getting whole other sections of game you're getting dungeons you're getting new strikes you're getting pvp content or when you're going into uh like this where you're you're literally adding on 16 shrines bunch of new songs new cinematic sequences like different things i think that's a very good thing as a, somebody working in game development for a company who's uh, the only way we're able to make our game is on the um continuing uh you know pay to participate um, uh, structure that we have with our player base. Uh, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, but you, bias, bias notwithstanding, right? It, yeah, I, sure. Like, I, I think of something that gets lost in translation for a lot of people that don't think DLC is a good thing or paid DLC is a good thing is they look at games like Halo 1 or they look at games, you know, even as recently as like, Halo 3 and or as far back as N64 games are like, well, they used to make games that were just a complete package all by itself and you didn't need any day one patches and you didn't need to buy DLC to get a whole complete game. It was just ready out of the box. Like, yeah, you're right. That, that was true. That was a lot less in-depth. That was a lot less intense. It was a lot different type of game development cycle that was that was around back then. It's not the same today. And like, yeah, when you're not doing it in a predatory way, it can work very well. Uh, and look, no one's making you buy the DLC. Like this is this is, in my opinion, not a necessary part of the game, but it is a very high value add part of the game. I agree, especially when you play it the way that we played it this time, where you're just treating it as like the last chapter of Breath of the Wild before you go beat the game. I mean, that 15 bucks is getting you an extra eight hours of game time in which you're doing some pretty fun and unique stuff. So, yeah, I think that it's a good value. 100%. I, I think that we're both very much agreed on that. Absolutely. All right, so let's go ahead and get into part three, which is both the dungeon map and shrine diving, because we've got a dungeon this week. As we said at the front of the show, I think Matt and I both consider um, the final trial to be a dungeon. So let's go ahead and talk about the final trial, Matt. It's very different um, than what we've done in the Divine Beasts that we've conquered so far, but in some ways the same. I think that one of the reasons that this feels different is just completely aesthetic and location-based, right? Like the fact that it's taking place underground, you know, and not as part of a giant moving like mechanical uh, robot, I, I think that gives it a bit more of the traditional Zelda dungeon feel, even though the structure of it is pretty similar to what happens with the Divine Beasts. Yeah, no, I agree. I think also um, it feels somehow bigger isn't exactly the right word it grander yeah i think grander is is probably the best way to put it because as you're going down this elevator you have this covenant-esque uh like 
shield barrier right that right, you can yeah. see through and like you're just seeing just like floor after floor after floor and then you start seeing the scope of this grand chasm that you're going into and you see the offshoots and the branches and you see the little mini hey, Matt, guardians falling and I have, I have a question for you what when you saw the final trial were you blinded by its majesty <laughs> <laughs> Were you paralyzed, dumbstruck? <laughs> Nay, great, uh, great hierarchs. Then how did you allow the human filth to infiltrate this sacred ring? Oh gosh! All right. Uh, I mean, okay, that was a good. That was enough Halo for it one was day. nice. It was fun. It was good. Um, I good time with that. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I completely agree with you. It, it's it feels really cool as a space. The puzzles that are in it, I thought were really fun, um, and actually took a decent amount of thought to sort of figure out because each of the four rooms that you have to conquer to unlock a lock on this door the rooms are big the mechanics are pretty uh they're pretty involved they all um build on knowledge that you've gotten from past divine beasts so you know there's a vameto room there's a varudania room varuta vanaboris um and uh and i think that they all build in really interesting ways off of those previous mechanics um you have to do a lot of thinking about like the main gear at the center of the dungeon and the ways in which it's like turning the the machine work in the different rooms like obviously the the mechanic that you get in this dungeon is that you can you can make that gear turn clockwise or counterclockwise right but you also have got to use magnesis to like lock bits and pieces into place so that um, so that like uh, pieces of the rooms that you're in will turn along with that main gear. It, it's really cool. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like not only magnesis, but also stasis. So like there's a the left side puzzle. You have to stasis a singular stone pillar or stone block as it's down and you got to tip it up the right direction. Um, you really get a lot of use out of all of your runes in this uh, in this dungeon. Yep. And I, I like it a lot. Um, it definitely does, like you say, require you you to be very very much thinking about which way things are turning and how that's going to affect what you want it to do and then kind of puzzle that out of how, what do I need to do to make this react the way I want it to react and I, I really 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 like all of that yeah um, I think that one of the things I, I thought playing through the Divine Beasts was like uh, yeah I don't love these in the way that I love traditional Zelda dungeons but also I'm not sure how a traditional Zelda dungeon could have been made in this game when like it all needs to come back to your your runes and your Sheikah late and how you make all of that work together i just think it's a very different sandbox and i don't know that a traditional zelda dungeon experience could really be had doing that and i think that the final trial is kind of a refuting of that i think it yeah yeah no i totally agree it it totally flies in the face of that and i'm sorry i keep cutting you off i'm not trying to no it's okay you're just saying all the things that i've been thinking so i'm just agreeing uh also one thing that this does really well that is not done in any of the other dungeons is you get a decent amount of combat here like every time you activate one of the maps you get a different drop of either mini guardians uh guardians mini guardians with weapons um and then at the very end you get a whole flying guardian and a stationary one you get a guardian turret and a flying guardian like it it actually ramps up the difficulty combat wise as you progress through the dungeon which is something that we've complained about you know throughout all four of the other divine beasts is that there was no combat yeah yeah i think the only thing that could have made it harder is if like after the final room there's like an actual guardian stalker rolling around in there yeah yeah or like a lionel which i think we both agree are probably even harder than guardians oh yeah definitely 
Yeah. So yeah, the the dungeon itself, I think we can both agree is really great. One of the things I think that that contributes to this grand feeling that we're talking about is the music that's playing in the final trial, yep. which is this awesome, epic version. It's a rearrangement of the shrine theme that you've heard in every other shrine. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a beautiful piece of music and it feels so, it feels epic. It feels like you've come to like the culmination of of a thing of a sh- like you you are at the culmination of shrines I mean, it's it's the arc of uh, the covenant. It's the it's the installation zero zero of all the shrines, right? And I think that this it plays out so well, and it is done so intentionally that way. And I I really love it. I think it's 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 the most well designed actual dungeon in the game, bar you, none. You know what any great dungeon has to have. A great boss. A great boss. And I remember the first time that you get into that final room and you think it's done, right? Because Mm -hmm. every other shrine, you've gotten to that monk and they've been like, hey, good on you. Here's an orb. And now I fade into oblivion, right? Not Monk Maz Koshia. Maz Koshia's got got a bone to pick. Yeah, Maz (laughs) Koshia's here to kick your ass. (laughs) He really is. Also, he's really tall. He, Moscow, she is, I think they probably all are. It's just, we never see them like standing, you know? Yeah, that's fair, I guess. So what did you think of the monk Moscow, she boss fight? I love it. It's so much fun. Um, it's got some cool vibes from, you know, I don't, I don't know necessarily OG Zelda vibes, but like I got some of the, especially when he's doing his, um, stand in front of you and like multiply like that reminded me a lot of the Poe fights in the forest temple oh yeah and then um all of the like teleporting around was was really interesting um obviously the throwing of the giant spiky balls at you was fairly master koga-esque but uh, this dude puts master koga to shame he's what master koga wishes he was oh yeah no doubt um and I actually, one thing I did notice that I thought was very interesting was his uh, teleporting animation is exactly the same as the Yiga Clan teleporting animation with yeah. the with the flyers that go everywhere uh-huh. and the the paper. Um, so it feels a lot like. I think this is the first time you feel that the Sheikah and the Yiga are from are the are different branches of the same yeah, tribe. It's, it's always been kind of implied that the Yiga are like, they use a perverted form of Sheikah combat and technique. Mm-hmm. You but know, this is the first time you see that. Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I think that this is a great fight. It's got, it's got a lot of interesting phases. Moskoshia is uh, really beefy. Like his health he has bar. A lot of health. Yeah, his health bar is incredible. Um, my, you know, I, I didn't use like a plus attack anything for this. And if I yeah. had, it might have gone quicker. But like um, even my most powerful stuff, I was using like 55 attack strength, like Lionel spears and like times three bows and all this stuff. And like, you know, it still takes a lot of doing to take Moskoshia down. Um 
I was uh, so just a few tips here. Uh, one of the easiest ways to kind of clear out, especially when he starts duplicating himself, um, and you know you you can only damage him if you find the real copy. Yep. There's like seven of them running around. <laughs> um, uh, Urbosa's Fury is your friend here. Oh, absolutely. I used it a lot. As are bombs. Yes. Um, ex- explosive arrows don't work because it's raining. Yes. No bomb arrows in this fight. Which I feel like is good. I feel like that might have made it a little too easy. You know, I agree. Um, especially if you have a times five Lionel bow like I do, then you just like times five Lionel bow everything and everything dies. So yeah, um, definitely agree that the lack of bomb arrows is a good move. Yeah, it's like a three or four phase boss fight. Um, it really requires you to use um, all of your combat skills that you've learned up to this point. Uh, shield parries, perfect dodges, um, using your runes, especially you know, to especially when he starts bringing out the spiky balls um using magnesis to like hover one of those up next to him to like knock while he him shocks down. it yeah 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 so uh, a really really fun boss fight i don't know would you say this is probably the most fun boss fight of the entire game easily yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um and of course the setting is really cool too up on this crazy floating island you yeah know? i was actually very curious what happens to that floating island when you're done here <laughs> it's Maz Koshia puts it back in the garage. <laughs> he throws a tarp over it. <laughs> he says that was fun, but uh, we'll we'll see you next year. He puts it in a bubble for the winter. <laughs> oh man, fair enough. And of course, the fight ends with one of the greatest rewards you get from any dungeon in Zelda, which is a freaking motorcycle. Dude, I lo- like at first I thought getting a a dirt bike out of this was super cheesy until I started using it a lot. And I was like, no, this is super fun. I'm loving this. I love the mechanic. Awesome. I love the mechanic where it actually like has fuel and in order to like refuel it, you've got to like dump ancient crap into it. Yeah. I love that. Oh man. No, the master cycle zero looks pretty cool. I think it's great that link gets his own divine beast. Although I do think that this, um, this is kind of like uh, a slap in Zelda's face who I guess even though she's not technically a champion, I feel like Zelda should have a divine beast. What would it be? Um, hell, I don't know. Well, you, you can't make a statement like that and not have a thought. No, I was not like, yeah, (laughs) you're, you're presuming a level of forethought on, on this observation (laughs) that I just did not have. You you just didn't, you weren't thinking that far ahead with it. Oh, that's fair, I guess. Yeah. Regardless, cool. I do wish that the Master Cycle Zero had some kind of offensive power the way the other Divine Beasts do. Like, even if you could only use it every now and again, it would be cool if you had, like, a charge laser. Like, Dude, that would be so much fun. Or even just, like, a arrow Gatlin gun. Like, that would be <laughs> kind of fun if you just, like, shot. I mean, you're using up your own arrow inventory, but you could, like, load it up with, like, a... Oh, that would have been awesome. The old Civil War style, like, clip that you put on top of it and you just go... Oh, and you're, like, you're like cranking it? Yeah, that would have been so cool. Like a Last Samurai? Dude, I would... Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, like, you go up against, like, a Lionel with a... Like a quiver full of a bomb arrow Gatling gun. Yeah, no, I'm I'm there for that. That would have been a fun addition. Regardless, what we got is really cool. Do you have anything else you want to say about the final trial before we move on from that part of the discussion? Um, You know, I actually really don't. I think that uh, it really showcases itself well as a huge, like this in and of itself. I think this one dungeon would have been worthy of a cheaper priced DLC just by itself. Like just getting the Master Cycle Zero, having that dungeon, um, like alone was was worth a a little bit of money in my opinion does the handling of this dungeon make you more excited for the potential of full dungeons in breath of the wild 2 absolutely no doubt yeah yeah absolutely 
God, I can't wait to hear more about that. Yeah, game. like I think that this really showcases, like we said, that you don't have to have puny little dungeons with no combat, like because that's not what this is, and I'm not going to beat that dead horse that we've already uh, beaten. So, yeah, that's I, okay. I, I'm sure we'll beat it a little bit more in the recap episode. Oh, uh, we absolutely will beat it a little bit more in the recap episode for sure. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to shrine diving because as we mentioned before, we have 16 extra shrines that get added in here. God, I can't believe, I think I, I think I probably cleared. Well, you, you would have had to have cleared at least 40 shrines because these 16 and you were 10 behind me last week and now you're 10 ahead of me. Yeah, that sounds right. You would have had to clear at least 40. Man, I played a lot of shrines. You played a lot of shrines. Like, I'm. are you okay? Is your marriage Okay. (laughs) That's, that's the more important question is is your wife okay i think so <laughs> um so yeah i think uh the one that i want to call out as being my favorite of the champions ballad shrines was the kia toza shrine it's one of the va meadow ones and the subtitle is master the orb and it's one of those um where you've got to direct a massive sheikah orb through a bunch of obstacles to get down to a pedestal and we've done that before but this one is more complicated and it's got kind of like some rube goldberg machine mechanics um that you've got to like guide it through you've got a stasis the right ramps you've got cryonis the right spots um you've got a magnesis the right platforms to bring the orb you know along the correct path um i just think that those are those are a lot of fun um i think that that's a really fun way to use almost all of your runes in order to get to the successful um end of the shrine as an honorable mention i kind of want to talk about the one it's one of the um daruk shrines and it's just a bunch of uh, climbable blocks that are floating around on a conveyor platform and you've got to like jump around the outsides of the blocks in midair in order to like avoid flames and stuff that was also on my uh top three list as well yeah i like i really really like that one yeah so yeah uh but anyway yeah i think i think grand prize for me goes to um kia toza master the orb which one was yours matt uh my computer died and it had my notes on it, so I'm going to have to pull my map up again here. Uh, it was the No Raji Shrine, which is uh, an, uh, one of Rivali's shrines as well. It's called uh, Master the Four Winds. Oh, yep. Um, and it's the one where you do a lot of flying up using your slow time shot ability uh, for various things to hit uh, different crystals to activate more wind pillars and you kind of like slowly climb your way up this massive rotating pillar in the center. Um, I like that one a lot because you have to do some critical thinking uh, with a couple of the different uh switches to hit one of them you actually have to shoot through some bars which is not an often used mechanic in shrines where you right. have um a wide apart grate that you have to shoot through uh another one is like going getting underneath of it and flying up into it uh that one was fun um one thing i actually also want to note about all of these shrines is that uh, they all have some pretty good extra loot in them so you know giant cores ancient cores yeah. diamonds like they have some pretty good extra loot so as you're going through them, if you see a chest, generally speaking, it's worth going to get. Um, my honorable mention, uh, just as kind of an interesting call out that I had, was actually one of the shrines uh, over by Varuta. Uh, it is the... Which one is this one? It is the Sato Koda Shrine. 
And not because of the shrine itself, but because of the way that you get to it. As one of Mipha's trials, it was surprising to me that this one was basically a combat gauntlet shrine. You had three flying guardians, you had one guardian turret, and then a bunch of moblins and lazalfos running around that you had to kill all of them in the rain. Uh, or at least it was raining for me. I don't know if it was raining for anybody else, but um, you had to kill all of these guardians, lazalfos, and moblins. And like to me, these shrines and the these trials specifically were supposed to test the strengths of the specific champion uh, for which... Uh, the Divine Beast was going to be piloted. And obviously, Mipha was not a combat-centered champion. Right. So it was kind of odd to me that this one was the most combat-heavy of any of the trials that we faced. So I thought that was just an interesting choice. I do think that brings up an interesting point, too, about um, the challenges that you have to do to unlock some of these shrines. Aside from the shrine puzzles themselves, a lot of these challenges do involve, like, so each area you've got... uh, You've got... A, a challenge where you've got to like pilot yourself through some glowy, uh, uh, some glowy um, portals, circles, right? Um, and then each area has um, has something too where you have to beat uh, an impressive enemy of some kind to unlock the shrine. And uh, so the Laneru one, the Mifa one, obviously, uh, what you were just saying, you've got to you got to beat some flying guardians and then a guardian drone. Um, further cementing my opinion that flying guardians are the biggest pain in the ass to I fight in this game. I absolutely despise flying guardians, dude. Like, they're so annoying. Yeah. Uh, but then in the uh, in the Gerudo region, you have to fight a really big Mulduga. Um, in the Dude, Elden, the Muldu King. The Muldu King. In the Elden region, you have to fight a really big uh, Igneo Talus, you know? So um, I, I think those are fun enough. I mean, they're, just, <laughs> they're, they're not really any different than any of the other versions of those enemies that you fought before. But they're just way beefier. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. They're just really big. <laughs> and they give you good, the, or at least the Muldu King gives you good loot yeah um, obviously you get nothing from the lava talus titan i think it's actually they call it like an igneo titan or something yeah, it's something not a like talus. that yeah yeah um obviously you don't get anything from him it all just falls into the lake of molten lava but uh the Womp, Muldu king Womp. yeah the Muldu king gives you some good stuff yeah yeah but anyway yeah so i think a lot of those challenges to unlock the shrines are pretty fun as well do you do you have anything else you want to <laughs> say in part three before we move on it reinforces my love of both shield surfing and sand seal surfing <laughs> yeah, good good call. Oh, I said that I was going to give you a workaround for the uh, the motion control shrine from hell. You did. That's one of the Elden shrines. And as Matt was saying before, I don't remember which shrine it was. But um, in order to get to the end of it, you have to use the motion controls to like rotate a platform completely around in a very specific way so that it like blocks flames. And it's a huge pain in the ass. And what I actually ended up doing after five minutes of just screwing around with my switch, I finally ended up going back and getting metal blocks from earlier in that shrine and like laying them on the floating platform and then just like angling it so that I could jump on top of them. And then I just ran across it that way. That is absolutely the most genius thing I've ever heard. Like seriously. Yeah. Is- oh my gosh. I I cannot stand that, that mechanic in general, but that usage of that mechanic is just awful. <laughs> may, may motion controlled shrines not return in Breath of the Wild 2, please. If I, yeah, if I had one wish outside of just more dungeons, it would be never ever make me use the switch motion controls ever again. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I mean, of course, I use them for like arrows and stuff like that. But just for for this mechanic, like 
Ah, geez, it is such a pain in the butt. Even when you de, uh, even when you undock your Joy Cons and, and use it the way that they kind of like want you to, yeah, um, it's still just a huge pain. So yeah, not yeah. a fan. Oh, you know what? I keep forgetting to talk about this. This is the second week in a row. I almost forgot to talk about it. What? I upgraded myself to a Switch OLED model. Ooh, uh, do you see the difference? Last week. Uh, so while I was traveling, uh, my girlfriend has recently gotten very into Animal Crossing. But since I was the only one with a Switch, she was like, I really wish like you didn't have to take the Switch with you while you're traveling. Like I'm in the apartment by myself and really like something to do, but I can't play Animal Crossing. And I was like, you know what? That's fair. Um, I have this wonderful Best Buy credit card that has nothing on it. And I get a year of no interest financing. So you know what? I'm just going to go buy myself a Switch OLED model. Uh, you can pay me whatever the trade-in value for a Switch is, and we'll just do a swippity-swappity, and uh, I will have a wonderful Switch OLED while I travel, and she can play Animal Crossing and not be bored out of her mind. So, that was a great decision for my relationship and for uh, getting her involved into gaming in general, which she's sure. now even open to playing a Zelda game now, which I'm very excited about. Well, I think uh, I refer us now to our conversation with Ben and Pat about what, what? Zelda game do we recommend for a, a newbie, yeah, and uh, Link's, Aw- uh, Link's Awakening Switch upgrade model is uh, upgraded version is coming her way shortly. I mean, that's got that's the only answer, right? It really is. Yeah. Um, so all that to say that from the first time I even turned it on, I could immediately see the difference. Um, it, the lack of bevel alone is just a huge upgrade. Uh, the huge increase in battery life for me as I'm traveling oh, it's is massive. A, yeah, it's almost double, if not double. Um, the the upgrade to battery life as I'm on planes all the time is really helpful and amazing. Um, and just the the graphical fidelity, the increase in frame rate, the the general color palette that you get is breathtakingly different and it's so the oranges and the blues are just so much deeper sunsets look incredible like i can't even describe i mean i am describing i can't accurately describe with words how much better it looks like you just have to put them side by side and just see them together and it's you it's an immediate mm-hmm. noticeable yeah. difference and, and i mean breath of the wild is a game that really takes advantage of this extra uh, the color range especially um breath of the wild just really really benefits from that it was already a gorgeous game and it looks like twice as gorgeous on the on the swoled so absolutely agree good investment on your part matt for sure Okay, let's get into part four, which is bloopy trails, where we talk about things that diverted our attention. And uh, Matt, I know that we didn't get up to a whole lot this week that was not part of the Champions Ballad, but did you get up to anything? So I played ahead a lot while I was traveling. Unfortunately for me, I did not play any of uh, this Champions Ballad while I was traveling. Otherwise, this would have been a less uh, stressful and intense week. So um, I completed a lot of shrines. I completed Terrytown. I know we're going to talk about Terrytown next week, so I'm not really going to go into that too much. Um, I think that overall, though, I'm just starting to try to pick at the last few shrines that I've got, um, trying to tackle the last two uh, Trials of the Sword tiers for next week. Um, But no, I I can't really say that I did too terribly much outside of the Champion's Ballad, which I feel like a lot of that is really just one big bloopy trail by itself. So Yeah, that's fair. Um, I So I actually completed the Cass quest line this week. I thought you did that like two weeks ago. Did I talk about it on that episode? I think so. So, um... Let's see. I think the big one for me is going to be 
like you said, I tackled a lot of shrines this week. Uh, one of the ones that I did was the uh, the the Typhlo Ruins Shrine, which is immediately to the north of Korok Forest, and it's the one that is uh, permanently submerged in darkness. And ah, yes, I did that one too. Yes, and so you've got to like you've got to use torches and fire to like find your way through this um, through this completely pitch black area of forest you've got to kill a hinox and you've got to drop the orb that it has in a pedestal that summons a shrine um and i thought that that was really fun just because um i don't know like you've got to be very hyper aware of like either having a torch or having something that can create fire in order to kind of navigate your way around that um and i just thought that was fun you know i i think that uh like obviously you know, I think I think that's just a blessing shrine where you get an orb from the end of it. You're correct. Um, but I think the process of getting to that was one of the more unique things that you do in Breath of the Wild. Um, I think it's uh, very challenging when it kind of you deprive yourself of like all the sensory information that you usually have to get around the map. So, yeah, no, I, I also really enjoyed that particular challenge. Um, I find myself for that one a lot using um like meteor rods or fire rods and just like throwing a flame ball in front of me for as far as it'll go just to see what's ahead of me. Yeah. Um, and then trying to stick to the outside rim of the island and just kind of work my way around and then just kind of in tighter and tighter rings keep moving uh, towards the center. Um, yeah. Mostly because there's a lot of good stuff to find on that island. Some good loot, some good uh, like gems and uh, other you know vi- valuable items. Uh, so it's worth kind of wandering around and exploring for a little bit for sure. Yeah. Let's get into part five, which is Z-targeting, where we lock on to fascinating characters or enemies that we happen to cross. Matt, who's your z targeting pick for this week i feel like we've got a few decent options yeah there's uh there's a couple good ones uh baby Sidon absolutely gets uh an honorable mention just for being adorable so you know we'll have to give him a shout out at the very least um i think each one of the champions has a good moment here i still just i can't stand Rivali, but the other ones i think i'll get some really good key uh character moments um I've already used Zelda, but I think this also showcases her um, in a different light outside of being around Link. She's, you know, being very proactive about going out and talking to the champions to recruit them, right? Like she's yeah. showing her in a very different kind of leadership role than we see in many of the other memories that we have with her. So I like that a lot as well. Um Overall, actually, I'm going to give it to Cass, though. Um, I think Cass is my Z targeting for this week. Mm-hmm. I haven't had, I haven't done Cass yet, but I think his dedication to completing this Ballad of the Champions and the way that he wraps it all up and uh, the storytelling through his songs um, as, again, the, the Ballad, right? It's the name of the DLC. Um, I really like all of that. Um, his just crazy in-depth knowledge of uh hyrule history is pretty cool um so i really like Cass this week i'm gonna give it to the monk maz koshia uh i think that even though we don't like learn a ton about him as a character and like what his motivations are or anything i do think that there's just a really interesting subversion going on of like basically this is just another incarnation of a character that you've seen a thousand times in this game so far um but recontextualized in such an interesting way um it's such a fun moment when you see him like basically crack his knuckles and stand up and you just know like, Oh, I'm going to actually see what these monks are capable of. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that he's a really cool character. Um, you know, he's the main quest giver for the champions ballad. So, um, you know, for that alone, I think he's a good pick, but I, I just think that, uh, I don't know as a 
as a part of the ancient world of Hyrule, he he is just a really interesting character to interact with. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's really fun. Um, I, I wish that we knew just a little bit more about the monks and like what their story is and all that. Yeah, for sure. Aside from the fact that they've been in stasis for like ten thousand years, but yeah, well, that was that was a, one of the questions. Actually, was like, how long do you do you think they've been in there? And I, I think we've had this discussion before, but like, still worth uh, worth bringing back up is it's it's definitely been a very effing long time, right? Oh yeah, no yeah, no doubt. Well, let's go ahead and get into part six, Matt, which is our final thoughts, uh, in which we let you wrap up this section of the game in as succinctly. A way as you can think to do or not. I mean, you know, sometimes you just really, sometimes you really just peel off on these. So, hey, you know, sometimes it's worth peeling off on them, right? Like there's a, there's, there's a lot to say sometimes. Yep. Um, all right. I think this section of the game, even as a paid addition to the base game, uh, really adds a lot of color and context to our main characters and our supporting group of characters. It adds uh, some color to our champions for who they are as people outside of their stereotypes or their legends. It adds a lot to uh, our princess who shows herself really in a, a much more prominent leadership role than we have seen her in most of our other memories. Um, we actually see very little of Link uh, throughout most of these memories until we get to the final memory where we see uh, kind of the champions together and really uh, enjoying each other's company for once. Most of the other memories we get, there's really is a lot of tension there. But uh, here we see a group of people who uh, are at least friends, um, but definitely comrades in arms in a lot of ways. Uh, we top this off with 16 additional shrines, most of which are really phenomenal. Um, and definitely crack into the top echelon of excellent shrines and easily the best dungeon and best boss fight in the entire game. So all of that comes together into a pretty bow uh, with the cherry on top being a wonderful gift uh, of our own divine beast to make for a really excellent section of game, even though it is a lot longer than we remembered it being. Yep. Love it. You you have such a way with those, Matt. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Every time it's off the cuff. Nothing's scripted whatsoever. That does, of course, take us to the end of the Sacred Realms Rundown for this week. We will be back next week with another installment of the Sacred Realms Rundown covering Chapter 15 of Breath of the Wild, in which we tie up a lot of loose ends. Um, I think we've, we've saved discussion of a few things for that one. We're going to talk about Terrytown. We're going to talk about Trial of the Sword. Um, we're going to talk about some of the last shrine quests that we want to tie up before we go and beat the game. Um, I know I am going to have a few things to say about the Lachna Roki shrine quest in Kakariko village, uh, which is usually the last one that I do. So, um, yeah, I mean, just gonna tie up some loose ends before we, uh, before we ride off into the sunset of breath of the wild. So, um, this is a game of almost nothing but loose ends, Matt. So it felt, yeah, I was about to say, is there ever a real tying up of all the loose ends? Because I don't think you can re I mean, unless you get all 900 something Korok seeds, which we're absolutely never in my life. Oh, you're not, you're not doing that for next week. I am not. You couldn't pay me enough to get all 900 Korok seeds in this game. (laughs) Sounds about right to me. Uh, we will, of course, be back next week with our discussion about that. Will Will I manage to conquer all three levels of Trial of the Sword on Master Mode? I don't know. I've done it before, but for some reason... <laughs> we'll see. For some reason, I'm finding it much more difficult this time. Couldn't tell you why. It's because you're older and your reflexes are slower. That is probably... Uh, yeah. And you're a sleep-deprived parent. Something to do with it. So, like... 
that probably also has something to do with it. These things could all be contributing. You ready to get out of here for the week, Matt? Lyndon, it is uh, past midnight, so yes. It's, it's late. It's really late. <laughs> Actually, it's exactly midnight. <laughs> Look at that. Oh, gosh. On the dot. All right. I think it is time to wrap this one up and get out of here. If you enjoyed today's show and you'd like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, you can head over to patreon.com slash sacredrealmspod and become a patron if you've got no rupees. It is not a problem. Five-star Apple Podcast reviews are a great free way to support us. More reviews means that more people see our show. That makes us very happy, Hylian. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the podcast and for behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Breath of the Wild Chapter 15. We'd love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Breath of the Wild can be played on the Nintendo Wii U or the Nintendo Switch. In the meantime, oh, sorry, you had something there. I was going to say, but if you ever play it on the Wii U, you're wrong. I don't like to tell people that because I don't know what anyone's like life situation is, but I mean, yeah, play it on the Switch. Play it on the Switch, it's better. <laughs> In the meantime, may your hearts be full, may your arrows never miss. We will catch y'all next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel in Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences.